You know, Joshua continues when we talk about Simeon and all of the work that's being done to divide that up. They were inside of Judah. Uh, That is the tribe of Judah. Very, very interesting. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery TV, taking you through the Bible in one year. What we're doing is going from Genesis 1 to Revelation chapter 22. And this is very exciting today as we focus on the 19th chapter. So stay tuned. We're going to continue with that. Corey and Ryan are here. Corey. Well, today I'm going to be talking about uh, an element of life, an element of farming and cultivation that Israel would have begun once they got into the promised land, right? Well, today I'm looking at the clever literary form and structure of Joshua chapter 22. Very good. Look forward to all of that. They're coming up in about 15 minutes. Janice, about 17. What are you doing, Janice? It's our Friday wrap-up question. So anywhere from Deuteronomy chapter 32 to Joshua chapter 19, get ready. Joshua 19, 1 through 16. The second lot came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon according to their families. And their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. They had in their inheritance Beersheba, Sheba, Moleda, Hazar, Shual, Bela, Ezem, Atolad, Bethuel, Horma, Ziklag, Beth Markaboth, Hazar, Susa, Beth Labaoth, and Shurohan, thirteen cities and their villages, Aen, Rimon, Ether, and Ashan, four cities and their villages, and all the villages that were all around these cities as far as Baalath Beer, Ramah of the south. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families. The inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah, for the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the inheritance of that people. The third lot came out for the children of Zebulun, according to their families, and the border of their inheritance was as far as Sarid. Their border went toward the west, and to Maralah, went to Dabasheth, and extended along the brook that is east of Jachneum. Then from Sarid it went eastward toward the sunrise along the border of Chisloth-Tabor, and went out toward Dabarath, bypassing Japhia. And from there it passed along on the east of Gath-Hefer, toward Eth-Kazin, and extended to Rimmon, which borders Ania. Then the border went around it on the north side of Hanathon, and it ended in the valley of Jiphtha-El. Included were Katath, Nahalal, Shimron, Idalah, and Bethlehem twelve cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Zebulun, according to their families, these cities with their villages. Joshua chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. 
Joshua 16, 17, 18, and 19. That's where we study today. It is great reading through this amazing book of God. Joshua, of course, filled with the Holy Spirit when he puts this all together. It's really interesting. You know, God was very clear when he distributed the land to the tribes of Israel. There were 12 tribes in Israel, and each one was given assigned land according to what the Lord had spoken to Joshua. Now, rather than a territory of land like the other tribes of Israel, the Levites were only given cities among the other tribes. And this is important. Now, these were called Levitical cities. And they included land that the Levites could graze their livestock in. Now, the reason behind this was that the physical inheritance of the Levites wasn't the land of Israel, but was the work of God. Now, they were to focus on the worship of God, on God's law, and on the tabernacle. Now, it's important for Christians, Christ followers, to know that similar to the Levites, the Lord has given us this time to live for him and make his ways known to all of us, to see us and to see him. Our inheritance is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? Now, this is what we mean when we declare that Jesus Christ is our King and our Lord. As his followers, we seek after his will. We build his kingdom rather than our own physical kingdoms here on earth. Now, as we think about that and focus on that, it becomes important to consider that God is doing something rather remarkable and something rather interesting. Now, as we say that, I, I want to say that we're going to be going to the 19th chapter of Joshua. Take your Bible guide and turn to that because there's notes there that we put together for you for your consideration. And if you don't have a Bible guide, call us or write to us and we will send it to you. Or you can go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com. If you're watching the first time you've seen this program on the internet, on the phone, if the first time you've seen it on television, it's good to have you here as we read through the Bible. But uh, as we do that, keep in mind that this is the most important book of all. This book, the Bible. And as we read through the Bible, we read from it. And so, Lord, we pray today that you would help us not to apply our ideas into it, but help us to hear your word for what it says. We're not, we're not building up any man, me or anybody else. We're not building up any person. We're looking at your word because your word speaks to every individual right now on the other side of that camera. And I pray, Lord, that you would speak to them wherever they are with whatever they have. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, amen. Look at chapter 19. Let's read the first couple of verses. Then the second lot came for Simeon, the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. They had in their inheritance Beersheba, that is Sheba, Malado, Hazor, Shuel, Bala, Ezem, Etolab, Bethul, Horma, Ziklag, Beth, Markaboth, Hazor, Susa, Beth Lebath, and Sher 
Hun or Sher Hin. Thirteen cities and their villages, Ain and Raman and Ethor and Ashan, four cities and their villages. And all the villages that were all around these cities, as far as Balath, Ber, Rama and the south, these or this was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families. Now, I want you to know this because this is important. God assigns his people land by family, clan and tribe. God has challenged each of us to do his work, his way, do God's work, God's way. See, that's my problem. I want to do God's work my way. My way is the only way. And that's the problem. So, Father, help us to do your work your way. And family is a big part of that. So help us, Lord. Let's read on and read more about this because this really gets interesting. As we continue, the Bible says, the third or the inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah. For the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore, the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the inheritance of that people. Which brings me to this point. God designated each inheritance according to their numbers, not out of favor. We have all been given an assignment from God. Now, beloved, I need to, we need to state this because it's important. How many of us compete for God's assignments? We have certain assignments we're given and we don't like our assignments, so we like his, so we're going to go after his. I've done that a lot of my life and I've come to the place where I've repented and said, Lord, help me not to do that. I have to understand that God has assigned me a specific place to accomplish. Jesus Christ told me, Rod, this is where I want you to go. You need to do that. Not this over here and that over there. See, there's good ideas, God ideas, and then there's Rod ideas. And that's the problem. I don't want to do the rod ideas. I want to do the God ideas. So that becomes very important for us to hear. So let's pay attention to that. Now, with that in mind, we come to the next passage of Scripture. This is interesting. It says here, and I find this fascinating. It says, the third came out for the children of Zebulun, according to their families. And the border of their inheritance was as far as Sar Sarid. The border went towards the west to Merilah and to Dabshetath and extended along the brook that is east of Jokneam. From Sarid, it went eastward towards the sunrise along the border of Chrisloth, Tabor, and went out towards Debaroth, bypassing Jaffa. And from there, it passed along the east of gath Hefer, towards Et-Kazen, and extended to Rimon, the borders of Ni. Then the border went around it to the north side of Hanoth, and it ended in the valley of Jephthah-El. Included were Katath, Nashela, Shimron, Adala, Bethlehem, 12 cities with their villages. And this was the inheritance of the children of Zebulun, according to their families with their villages. Very interesting. God's provision 
was more than enough for the people. Christ-like followers know that God is good and right. We don't run out of personal blessings. This is important. We define blessings. Wait a minute. We don't define blessings. God does. When it says count your blessings, it means look to God, count to the blessings he has given you because he's given you much blessings. And I want to tell you something. God's blessings are far better than any blessings we might come up with. Hi there, Bible Discovery TV is available to you 24-7. If you have Roku, you can download our app and you can watch all of our programs at your own convenience. We're also available on Amazon Fire, so just search Bible Discovery TV and you'll be able to find us. Did you know that Bible Discovery TV is available on your phone? You can watch the program whenever and wherever is most convenient for you. On iPhone or Android, search for Bible Discovery TV in the App Store. So all of life would have changed once Israel was actually able to settle in the land of Canaan, to settle in the promised land. They went from um, being nomadic, you know, traveling around the wilderness for 40 years to now needing to settle down, now needing to start thinking uh, long term. What do we need to survive to next year? Because we're not going to be traveling to different trading routes and, and the manna has stopped. So they needed to really figure out how they were going to begin to you know build their lives long term and one of the elements of that was a key element in all of the ancient near east all of the ancient middle east and that was olive oil take a look one of the most valuable resources of biblical israel was the olive tree from it came one of the most precious and diverse products of the ancient near east olive oil in Israel, olive oil had sacred use in the temple for light and offerings and to anoint priests and kings. In everyday life, it was used in cooking as a main source of dietary fat. It had medical applications, was used in beauty products, perfume, soap, and was fuel for oil lamps. Two months of the year were dedicated to harvesting and processing olives, a culmination of the year's growing season. Within a couple of days after hand harvesting, whole olives would be crushed into an olive mush, either by hand using a stone roller, by using wooden shoes to stomp them, or a bit later on by using a large millstone in a circular basin that was pushed around by man or donkey. The crushed olive mush would then be scooped and packed into round baskets made of natural fibers and designed with a hole in their bottom to facilitate oil drainage. The baskets were placed onto pressing vats, large stone storage containers. Early technology utilized a large wooden beam with heavy stone weights that was leveraged against the stacked baskets of olives, pressing the oil out of them. The number of presses determined the quality of the olive oil and whether it was suitable for religious use, human consumption and medicinal purposes, or for cosmetics and fuel. Later on in time, new pressing technology was invented and began to appear on the scene in the 1st to 4th centuries AD, mainly the screw press that used screw technology rather than a beam to squeeze out the oil. Freshly pressed oil is not perfectly pure, however. It's mingled with water and other naturally occurring substances from the olives, so the oil must be rested and separated. This was often done in large jars with stopped up holes near the bottom. With resting, the oil would rise to the top and the water to the bottom. 
Unplugged, the holes drained out the wastewater first, and then the oil could be collected and stored. Always so interesting to take a look at the daily lives of ancient people and what they would have had to think about, not only for survival, but also for thriving in, in their ancient world and for keeping their, um, you know, their, their religious systems going or what they had been commanded going. And olive oil was such a key component of the diet then because it was such an added, uh, caloric volume to their diet and also a healthy fat that they really needed, especially in times when, when times were a little bit tight. I think that, it, and, and again, when, when I was in Israel in 91, uh, there were a lot of things we explored because we'd been there for six weeks and we uh, moved around and did a lot of things. It was just us and uh, the crew. And uh, what I noticed is all of the plants they had for the oil mm-hmm. and how they produced it was it was a big deal. It was a big deal. It was a big. It's been a big deal for thousands of years in that area. And going back and taking a look at all the different types of presses that they had and, and yeah. how the technology developed and moved on is really interesting. And it's I mean even today it's a very similar process to what ended up being the main form during the time period of, of the kings of extracting oil. I, I mean it was incredible, and I thought, man. This is sophisticated. I mean, these rocks rolling around and doing all of this stuff, that was really good. And they really made that in advance. Thank you, Corey. That's excellent. Ryan. All right. Well, I know that our reading assignment today is Joshua chapter 16 to 19, but I want to jump ahead to Joshua chapter 22, which is a part of our weekend reading. And in this chapter, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh built an altar by the Jordan River. And even though they meant well, the other tribes interpreted this as a rebellion against God. So these tribes confronted them and a civil war almost broke out. But the two and a half tribes explained their true godly motivation and war was averted. It really is a great chapter, but what's really neat about it is its literary form and structure. And as you might be aware, there are many different literary devices that God uses in the Bible to communicate his word. One of these literary devices is called a chiasm, also known as reverse symmetry. And believe it or not, it's used in Joshua chapter 22. Check it out. Although perhaps not always perceivable to the untrained eye, there are a number of literary devices that the Bible employs. Some of these include alternation, immediate repetition, parallel symmetry, and reverse symmetry. Perhaps most beautiful and unexpected of these devices is reverse symmetry, also known as a chiastic structure. A chiastic structure, or chiasm, is when the same language and style elements are repeated in the second part in reverse order, last matching first and first matching last. Or even more simply put, it's a repetition of similar ideas in the reverse sequence. Thus chiasms are structured in a repeating ABC-CBA pattern. One example of this is Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, where God declares, Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Although many have remained unaware of this literary device, even classical authors such as Livy and Tacitus used chiastic patterns hundreds of times in their writings. Likewise, they're also used hundreds, if not thousands of times in the Bible. They seem to be especially prevalent in its historical narrative probably because this particular literary device makes narrative easy to remember, which is a very important thing for a largely oral culture. Hence, it's no surprise that the historical book of Joshua contains several chiasms. For example, Joshua chapter 22 verses 10 to 34 forms the chiasmic pattern A, B, C, D, E, F, 
F-E-D-C-B-A, and it runs like this. A. The two and a half Israelite tribes build an altar in verse 10. B. The Israeli government threatens war in verses 11 and 12. C. The Israeli government sends a delegation in verses 13 to 15a. D. The delegation accuses the eastern tribes in verses 15b to 20. E. The two and a half tribes swore innocence in verses 21 to 23. F. The two and a half tribes explain the altar in verses 24 and 25. F. The two and a half tribes explain the altar in verses 26 and 28. E. The two and a half tribes swore innocence in verse 29. D. The delegation accepts the explanation in verses 30 and 31. C. The delegation sent by the Israeli government returns home in verse 32. B. The Israeli government withdraws their threat in verse 33. And A. The two and a half Israelite tribes name the altar in verse 34. Significantly, these chiastic patterns, along with the various other literary devices, combine in extremely unique ways to make the Bible stand out among the rest of the literary masterpieces and other so-called holy books. As one author proclaims, when God breathed out the scriptures, he synthesized a wide variety of thematic repetitions and literary devices to engage us in the greatest and most beautiful literary accomplishment of all time. So while it is true that in some respects, literary study of the Bible is still in its infancy, we still see the awesome design here. And we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, God is the best teacher. He knows how to teach us, his children, so that we will understand. He truly is the good teacher. And significantly, Jesus many times taught in chiasmic patterns. So while the placement of some of the text might seem a little bit strange to our eyes, it could be because there's a literary device being employed. And today we just barely scratched the surface, but it's something to keep in mind as we read along. I think that's important when we read the prophets as well, because they use several different methods or God uses several different methods with the prophets and speaking that way. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that later in the program. But, you know, this is really something because when you read the Bible, you have to read it trying to understand what it's saying. And if you allow yourself in the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, guide you and direct you, then you begin to hear his words mm -hmm. and it's stunning. Mm -hmm. And uh, it really is good. So a chiasm. Very good, yeah. Ryan. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Now, Corey, on the weekend, this weekend edition, you do something. Yeah. So my husband and I do Bible Discoveries, the weekend show. So we release it every Friday so you can watch it whenever you want to on the weekend. We, uh, so it's released on my YouTube channel, uh, which is just my name, Corey Babechko. So you can search that on YouTube and find us there. So we go over what, what the the assigned reading was for that week and we discuss big issues that pop up as we're reading through the scriptures and we also interact with your questions and viewer comments as well. It's always really fun. Yeah, yeah it's really good and Ryan has his channel too, Ryan Hembry, Corey Babachko. We have our channel, Pastor Rod Hembry, on YouTube and so you can check us out there. There's things that we're doing shorts now and there's different things we're doing so it's kind of exciting to, to see that and develop that. So what you want to do is you want to subscribe to it and like it, because if you like it, more people can see it. So there you go. All right. What if they don't like it? Well, if they don't like it, don't say anything. They can dislike it. dislike it. My mom told me if you don't like something, don't say anything. No one else can see it, just us. It's a, it's a whole go. new YouTube thing. Okay. And you know, I would encourage... I would I'm still encourage, not going to dislike stuff. I just, I don't do that. And I would encourage young people... 
And I know there are young people that watch this program. And first of all, I want to thank you um, because sometimes people say, oh, well, you know, youth, they're, it's terrible the way youth are today. You know what? Mm -mm. There are so many of you. I'm telling you what, I'm so pleased that you watch this program and that you are setting your lives straight and in order and following after God because he knows your future. And he can direct and lead you. And I know that it's tough. It's tough being a young person and especially making future decisions and things for your life. But know this, when you follow God, you can do it with his help. And and I can say that as a 61-year-old and Rod's 62, he's older than I am. And we have made God the center of our life all the way through. You're going to have rough times, but God will never leave you. He'll always be with you. You can do it. You can do it. With God, you can do it. I agree with you 100%. I encourage them as well. (laughs) Question. Here's another question. All right. Anywhere from Deuteronomy 32 to Joshua chapter 19, the Bible tells us that Moses died in the land of Moab on what mount? Was it Mount Nebo, Mount Tabor, or Mount Hermon? What mount was it that Moses died on in the land of Moab? What do you think, Ryan and Corey? Do you have an answer to that one? We do. You we do? do, yeah. They seem very confident. Yeah. You're, you're confident about I, mean, I really enjoy biblical geography. Yes. <laughs> so, yes. So, so you really think that you have the answer? It. Yeah. Do you I definitely know. Yeah. <laughs> Both of you. Yeah. Yeah. It's, the, it's A. Nebo. Nebo. Mount Nebo? All right. Well, if that's what you decided, the right answer was, then if you check out Deuteronomy chapter 34, pretty much the whole chapter there, then you will know for sure that Moses died in the land of Moab on Mount Nebo. Bonus question. How old was he? Bonus. How old was he? 120. Bonus question. You got that one too. (laughs) Indeed. Well, there you go. Very good. So how old was Joshua? Stay tuned until next Friday. Next I am excited. I read a report from a missions organization that Iran, a nation that is uh, causing trouble in the world today, is actually underneath, there are 5 million Christians that have come into the kingdom of God. That is awesome. So Father, we all pray for the Iranian Christians, our brothers and sisters. Help them to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their life and keep them close to you. In Jesus' name, and we said together, amen.